Hi, and welcome to the Willow Ridge Church weekly podcast. This is where you can find audio for our current and past sermons. We hope that you enjoy this week's installment, and be sure to check back next week to hear the latest message. Thanks for listening. Good morning, Willow Ridge Church. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Matthew chapter 18, is where we're going to be this morning. Uh, Just to reiterate and to remind of some other announcements, I want to really encourage you guys on that Sunday, July 10th, to be here with us, with Rick and Tina, uh, to hear all that God's done and all that we look to see what God's going to do as they continue in their calling uh, as missionaries. It's going to be a wonderful night uh, of celebrating the work of what God has been a part of in their life, uh, to hear their story, um, and and to see all that God has done and moved in their life. So I want to encourage you. I know typically on Sunday nights, we we don't have things like this in the summertime, uh, but it's just a wonderful time before they literally the next day go to their next place of ministry and service. And so I want to encourage you to be there. We'll have some refreshments, some light snacks. Uh, bring, bring the kids, right? This is a wonderful opportunity for all the family as a whole to come and to be a part of this. And then also in track with, with missions, you've heard about our middle schoolers going to Black Mountain. We've already got our high schoolers that are signed up uh, to go to Utah uh, with us in, in July as well. And after the service, we're going to have a brief uh, parents meeting just to give you guys some information for the Utah trip for our high schoolers. So we'll be over in building two in room 200. How do I know that it's going to be brief? I know it's going to be brief, number one, because I'm leading it. And you chuckle because you know when I start talking, I'm not necessarily brief. But number two, if you saw my truck this morning, you know that we're packed up and we're ready to go to the beach. All right. So after that meeting, my family's heading on a week's vacation. So we're, we're ready to get gone. So we're going to go over everything we have to do and get you guys out of here. You will still beat every other church to the restaurant. All right. Um, and then lastly, uh, I had the privilege and honor to go with a group of students and adults to Somersault last week for our youth camp and had a wonderful Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful time. Um, you know, being 43 years old and being a long time number one since I was a participant as a student in youth camp, right? It took me back to some days of what that was like. And number two, it's even been a long time as a youth pastor since I've been there. But I did learn a couple of powerful lessons during that week. Number one, I did learn that your middle schoolers can live and thrive off of Mountain Dew and pizza for five days, right? That's what I learned in the cafeteria. They're like steamed vegetables and grilled chicken. No, 24-hour pizza bar, yeah, we'll hit that up, right? And so that's what they did for that. And number two, I learned if you've got any extra money, and you want to know where you can invest and get a good return for your money, Axe Body Spray, all right? Because it was the fragrance of the week, and so you can definitely have that. But no, it was a wonderful, wonderful time. We saw God working in so many different ways. Uh, one of the things, uh, Brent Hawkins was, was one of our, uh, one of our um, chaperones that went, and Brent said this to our group the last night. Uh, there. You know, we have a unique dynamic, I think, within our church and where our church is positioned and where many of you come from. You know, it's not unheard of to think in our student ministry that it, at least only in high schools that we can represent up to eight high schools at any different point in time amongst our student ministry. So what that means is a lot of our kids don't see each other, don't interact with each other on a day-in, day-out basis in their, in their neighborhoods and at their schools. And, and what Brent pointed out to this group of students was something that we had all talked about at 
as the chaperones throughout the week. It was watching those groups who their paths not, had, might not have crossed a whole lot and just really forming and building those relationships and, and loving on each other and pouring into each other. And so that was just a blessing for all of us to see. Uh, parents, if your kids were there uh, and you haven't had the opportunity to do so, man, just sit down and, and debrief with them, unpack the week, hear all uh, that the Lord uh, did in their life and in the life of others. Uh, it was a wonderful, wonderful time. I know uh, with all of the churches combined as far as uh, for, for repentance, for salvation and calls to ministry, there was over 85 uh, decisions that were made that week at camp. And so uh, it was just a wonderful time for, for us to be at Somersault together. So let's go ahead. We're going to continue on in our uh, study on the fruit of the Spirit. So let's look at Galatians 5, 22 through 23. It'll be on the screen. Paul writes and says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and what I'm going to preach on this morning, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There is no law. So when we look at these different words that we've been looking at over the course of, of, of all the weeks, and if you're, if you're new here, basically we're taking a word a week as we move through the fruit of the Spirit. And, and when you look at the different ones, I don't exactly remember off the top of my head for joy, but I know that both love and peace peace are mentioned over 80 times each in the New Testament. So that's a common word that we're going to see and read through. In fact, both of those words are listed in every book in the New Testament. So as you read through, you'll see that. Joy is, is at a higher end for that as well, and I believe it is listed in every book in the New Testament except for one. But patience is a little different. And if you're, but you're probably thinking to yourself, well, when I read and, and, and look through Scripture and, and I see patience, that's often found in Scripture. And, that, and that's true. When we read it in English, we'll see that. But there's two words in the Greek for the word patience. And the first one I'm going to share with you is used a little bit more often. And this patience that's used a little bit more often means to bear up or to remain under a burden. All right? And so, so an example would be like, to, to have patience in suffering, to have patience in a difficult situation, to have patience so that you know that as you endure, right, that it will come to an end, whether it's an end of the moment or a return of Christ, that that's the patience that we see. Now, this is not the patience referred to in Galatians 5.22, even though that's a biblical command that we see. We are to be patient as we suffer well. We are to be patient as we wait on the returning of the Lord. But the one that we see is, is a word that is used 14 times in the New Testament in its entirety, and it's a word called macrothumia, and it's a compound word. And the word is macros, which means long, and thumos, which means temper. And so it means to be long-tempered, and it's the description of a person who is able to hold their temper for a long time, especially with dealing with people. Now, here's what I want you to do. Raise your hand. Join me. All right, I was one of these. Raise your hand if you were a difficult child growing up. We're going to reference this here later. I want to see. All right, everybody, leave your hands up. Everybody look around. Let's see the difficult people in the room. All right, I could be a difficult child, all right? Now, I wasn't mean, all right? I, didn't, I wasn't a bully. I didn't do things like that, but I was difficult to parent. For an example, I love the game hide-and-go-seek. 
I really love that game at department stores, all right? Now, for the teenagers in the room, what you see right now when you go into a department store is tables. Or you see, like, small, like, four-armed racks that hold, like, six shirts. But what I grew up with, what your mom and dad grew up with, what your grandparents grew up with, were these wonderful, large, round displays where they would pack literally 5,000 shirts onto one. And if there was that moment that your mom or your dad had to go through to look for a size, that was your moment to break free. Right? We didn't have a phone to look at, so we had to entertain ourselves. And we entertained ourselves by hiding in clothes. And so I would break out and I would go. Now, this is hard to believe, but I was painfully skinny for all of my life until I reached about the age of 19 years old. And so what I knew about myself was I could get into the very center and just kind of duck down a little bit. And even if my mom looked through, she could miss me. And so we'd go to a store. And all of a sudden, where did he go? I remember the day when I knew it was going to be bad. When I'm hiding in the store, and I can hear my mom. In most days, it was like I'll let her call out for a couple minutes, and then I'll pop my head out, right? And she'll hit me with her flip-flop, and we'll go home, right? That was, was the 80s. All right, so I'm hiding there in the middle, and all of a sudden, I hear this voice. Bo Bradbury, please report to the customer service desk. And I knew in that moment, I'm about to die, right? Like, this is it. I was a difficult kid. A phrase that was used often with me by both of my parents is this wonderful phrase, and, and I would be willing to bet if you're a parent here in this room, you've used this at some point in time. My patience is wearing thin, all right? My patience is wearing thin. And here's what that means. You're about to get the wrath, right? That's the last warning, kids, because my patience is wearing thin. Now, with that in your mind, whether you're a person who heard that constantly like me, or you're a person who uses that expression constantly with other people, Let's look at patience. All right, number, number one, I want us to start off, look at God's patience with us. We'll get to Matthew 18 here in just a little bit, but I want to look at uh, uh, 2 Peter, and it says this, 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not willing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So, so Peter here is speaking about the returning of the Lord. And he's speaking in, in context of all of the believers, of what they're having to face, and the persecution, and the difficulty of life. And there were those in the church who were longing for Jesus to return. Now, now that's a good thing. Like when you and I, when we're going through the difficulties of this world, when you and I are going through difficulties with people, 
when you and I are facing the, the circumstances of, of life, there should be this within us as believers, this surmounting uh, just, just kind of momentum or desire in our hearts for Jesus come quickly. Jesus, we need you now. And not just need you now in the moment, but I'm ready to be set free. I'm ready for the pain and the hurt and all that we know in this world to be gone. And I'm ready to be before you. And, and Peter here says, as you long for that, know this. God's not being slow. God's not being lazy. God's not being unwilling to do what he says he's going to do but he's being patient with us as he longs for man to repent. He's being patient with us, right? It's not that God isn't doing what he said he would do. He isn't ignoring sin. He isn't ignoring pain. He isn't ignoring suffering. He is simply being patient. Now, drop down to verse 14. Peter writes, he says, Therefore, beloved, since you were waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. And so as God is being patient, we, we, we wait. We wait. We wait for the return of Jesus. But for us, waiting for the Lord is not like waiting in a waiting room where we sit by idly trying to please and satisfy the, the immediate cravings of our mind with a cell phone or with a magazine or a quick nap. It's, it's this active waiting that we see. It's the Great Commission. It's what we're called. But in here, what Peter focuses in, he says, so we are patient as we are diligent to be found without spot or blemish and at peace. And so what Peter's talking about is as we are waiting, as God is continually to be, to be patient, what we do is we work on some things. We begin to delve into our faith. We begin to, to work out our personal sanctification process. We're seeing sin. We're killing it. We're slaughtering it. We're surrendering it before the Lord. And that in that, that what we're becoming more and more is the people of peace so that we can be ministers of reconciliation like Paul called us to. And so there's this active waiting that you and I have as God is graciously patient so that the gospel can be carried, so that we can grow in our faith, and so that we can be people of peace. And so as we continue on, not, we see God's patience, but I want us to look at the purpose of patience. In 1 Timothy 1.15, and we've already seen some of this, but just to reiterate, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am foremost. But I receive mercy for this, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And what Paul writes here to Timothy, we, we see Jesus' purpose 
of patience, right? Like, I can't tell you, like, you know, it would be great if in our moment of salvation, selfishly, like, like I think oftentimes, like, man, it would be great, like, God saves me, and then, like, boom, I'm gone, right? But he's working. He's working for a greater good. He's not doing it for mine. He's doing it for, for his. And so we see the purpose in patience. Jesus' purpose, what he came to, to seek and save the lost, right? Now, I, I talked earlier and asked how many of you were difficult kids, right? Another show of hands to the group of people in the room that people like me just don't understand, right? How many of you were, were really good and easy kids? Raise your hand. Keep, keep those hands up. We want to see this. I'm going to take pictures and ask your parents, all right? Now, right? One of the things that I've noticed as, as you know, social media, you run into people that you've seen, you interact. One of the things that, here, let me say this first. If you were a difficult kid and God blessed you with a difficult kid, you understand you're a difficult kid, right? You get that. Now, if you were like me and you're a difficult kid and you married someone who was a good kid, right? You're shaking your head no. No, I think you were. At least you were better than me. Let's give it that. All right, all right, all right, all right. When you see those who were good kids get difficult kids, they don't know what to do with that, right? They're like, they're broke. Like, how do we take them back? Like, what in the world is going on? And I'm like, no, 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 no. I get this. Like, the good kid, I struggle with. I don't know what to do with it. I think they're trying to trick me all the time. The bad kid, it's getting caught, kid. Like, I get that, right? So they don't know what to do with this. And here, Paul says this. We, we got to think of this. Like, in, in the term of sin, like, you and I, before the Lord, we're all bad kids. We're all bad kids. And Paul understands this. And it understands the patience of the Lord to save sinners who he said, of whom I am foremost. He gets it. He grasps it. And for you and I, as, as followers of Jesus, this is what we've got to let her resonate within us. We're going to see the depth of depravity here in just a minute of, of what it looks like as God is patient with all of us. Look back at verse 16. Paul says, but I received mercy for this reason. That in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. So Paul says, if you want to understand what God can do, if you want to understand God's patience with the rebellious heart, then look at me. Look at the grace and the mercy that I live in. And then as that, what you and I are displaying is not our own self-righteous goodness, but what you and I are displaying is the fact that we were broken, beaten, busted up, sinful people, and God in his patience and his goodness and his kindness loved us and saved us anyway. And that's it. That's it. You know that parent, and you're behind them at the store, 
and you're thinking, if that were my kid, right? Right? We are that kid. We are that kid. And God is patient and kind and good to us. Right? So let's look at Matthew 18. Turn there. We'll, we'll finish up in here. God displays his patience. My mom had tells, right, of her patience. She'd get the really sweet voice, right? She would tap, right? And that's when I knew in this moment my mom is displaying patience with me. Well, God displays his patience. And he displays his patience by forgiveness. Chapter 18 of Matthew, verse 21. And then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Peter here asks Jesus about personal forgiveness. You see, during the time of Christ, the rabbis taught that if the person committed a sin against you, if that same person sinned against you in the same manner, in the same way, three times you were required to forgive. And on the fourth, you're set free from that. You no longer have to forgive them. So, so Peter comes to Jesus and I'll be honest with you, I don't know if it was ego or grace that drove the question. I don't know, and I don't, I don't know that it matters. But he says, Lord, would, would seven be sufficient? And there's a lot of speculation about why he chose seven. I don't know. I think it's, for, for me, it's just, it's just more. It's just more. Like when it comes to forgive, like the standard is here, but what if I forgive him Here. And, and Jesus answers Peter. And, and we can get there, and it can be about the number. What I read out of the ESV today said 77 times. And so if you're like me, then let's get a tracker, right? Like forgiveness one, forgiveness two. You're getting close, right? Like boom, 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 boom. But it's not about the number. Instead, some translations say seven times 70. This one says 77. But instead, it is about continual forgiveness. How often do I forgive them? You forgive them. How often do I forgive them? You forgive them. How often do I forgive them? You forgive them. How's seven looking? No, it's more than that. And you just keep on, and you keep on, and you keep on. And so what Jesus is going to do, what we're going to look at, is Jesus is going to teach a parable. And in the parable, he's going to connect a kingdom practice, what God does, with practical living, how we are called to be. So we are to emulate and to show and to demonstrate this type of forgiveness. We're to show people what God does and who God is with repeated personal forgiveness. So we'll start, we're going to read verses 23 through 27 and then pause for a moment. It says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000.
thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, here it is, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him, and get this, and forgave him the debt. Forgave him the debt. So let's, let's talk about this. We got some, some, some money here. Let's, let's translate that. 10,000 talents in today's market. Y'all already excited for this? 3.48 billion. Now, what do you think Dave Ramsey would do with that, right? Like he owes $3.48 billion. Let me give you some perspective. With $3.48 billion, you could not only buy the Boston Red Sox, but you could have $10 million left over. That's a good day, right? That's a good day. If you got $3.48 billion, we'd love to see that tithe come in. I'm just, I'm just going to lay it out there, right? This is what we got. $3.48 billion is what he owes. And when he can't pay it back, the master orders that his family be sold into slavery. Now, and when a slave's value on an average end was one-tenth of a talent, he owed 10000 and the value of each member of his family on average was one-tenth of a talent, and the master says, sell them. And so the master is not recouping what he is owed. When the sale happens, it wouldn't be everything balances out. He's not going to receive what he is owed. So look at verse 26. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. Now, the master knows he can't repay him. I just imagine, like you come home, and you open up that bill, and you think there's like $1,000 on the credit card. And there's $3.48 billion on the credit card, right? Like, in that moment, you go, I'm not even trying. You know what I mean? And like, the master knows he can't repay. And so when he pleads with him, be patient with me, I will pay you everything, the master looks at him, and out of pity for him, verse 27 says, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. And so it's no, no, not get to me what you can, not here's the payment plan for you. It's no, here's how my patience is shown to you. My patience is shown to you by forgiveness. And I don't know about you, but I'd probably be high stepping out of there jumping up and down, celebrating, letting everybody know what happened and took place. Like, can you imagine the burden of that debt? 3.48 billion, gone, gone. Look at verse 28. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. In seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. 
So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. And he refused and went up and put him in a prison until he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. So, a denarii. He's owed a hundred. What does this mean? One denarii was equal to one day's wage for a citizen in the time of Christ. So translate it over here for us in South Carolina. The average one-day income for a person working in the state of South Carolina is $147. So if we translate that over for us, 100 denarii would be roughly $14,794. So he owed, get this, $3.48 billion and was forgiven. And unwilling to forgive under $15,000. Now, uh, if, if you're like a normal human being in this world, right, like we can all yes and amen that $15,000 is a significant amount of money, right? Like if anyone's handing that out in the parking lot, like let's pray, let's go, right? Let's go get that. Like that's significant. But in the course of $3.48 billion, it's pocket change. It's pocket change. Elon Musk kind of has that hanging out in his couch cushion, you know? It's pocket change. One debt forgiven, huge, cannot be paid back. But yet a debt that could, a debt that could be paid back. The unwillingness to show what they had experienced. Look at verse 32. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have mercy on your fellow servant as I had on you? And his anger, his master, delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all the debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. These are Jesus' words. I want to wrap up and, and, and talk and look at when it comes to patience with forgiveness with others. Our ability to forgive and to show patience, Scripture tells us, is a mark of salvation. Those of us who understand that we owe so much. And Jesus said it's forgiven. Right? What you and I have done make $3.48 billion look like pocket change. Pocket change. And Jesus forgives. Not in part and then go figure it out. Not up to the point, and then go do it all right. Jesus says, it's a part of it. And, and our willingness and desire to forgive, right, is a mark of salvation. 
and our maturity to grow in it. Second thing I want to say about forgiveness. Forgiveness isn't ignoring sin. It's forgiving it. The master called him. You owed a debt. I'm not saying to you or to myself that your hurt isn't real and legitimate. It is. I'm not saying to you that what they did to you is okay. It's not. Just as my sin isn't okay. Not a moment before the Lord. And he he doesn't ignore it. He works through it. He disciples me and disciplines me graciously through it. He builds and works in me through it. And he forgives me. So that when I do it again, I can come back to that sweet, sweet spot of repentance because of who he is. Number three, forgive radically. Forgive radically. When it comes down to it, I'm going to all my cards out. Those painful, toxic, destructive, abusive people in my life are less than 1%. They're less than a fraction of a fraction. But yet I want to choose to use them as the standard. When Scripture has me radically, radically, radically forgive. Seven times 70. 77 radically forgive. And so even that within that, the fraction of the fraction of the people, I forgive. And it's a display of God's goodness and God's grace and God's love and God's compassion, right? Lastly, and this is the conversation that I think I have as a pastor more than any. What if you can't? Yes, amen, let's do that. And then you walk out of here. What if you can't? What if you're trying, but every time you see him, right, it's the gut punch. Every time you see him, the anger and the resentment begins to build and build and build. What if, what if you can't? Years ago, it's the journey that I walked on. I could hold a grudge like I was hanging off the side of a cliff, Right? And God brought into my life just some practices. I want to encourage you with them. The first thing, if you can't forgive, seek to serve. Seek to serve. Serve them. Serve them in a way that leaves them wrecked and confused about why you are doing what you're doing. Because then, right, we are who Paul called us to be. So we seek to serve. Jesus came to to serve, is what he tells us. Who did Jesus serve? 
everyone who nailed him to the cross. Everyone. Seek to serve. Number two, number two, pray for your heart. Pray for your heart. So many times we want to start off with praying for them. Pray for, pray for you. Lord, in your spirit and in your power, do in me what cannot be done. Lord, as you parted the waters, as you healed the blind, Lord, build into my life an ability to forgive those that I cannot forgive in myself. Some people believe miracles don't exist. I do. And there's no greater miracle than when God takes our heart of stone against someone and softens it to let us forgive. And then lastly, and we'll close with this, pray for them. Pray for them. But here's what I would encourage you to pray. Pray for God's best for them. All right? Not, God, I know the whole wrath thing, and Billy really needs to experience that today, right? That's not it. God, may you bless them, and may they be blessed. Lord, may they know your will and their passion and, their, and your passion and your pursuit for their life. Lord, may they know how much you love them and you value them. Lord, would you bless them and bless their family? Lord, would you heal them of all that they are battling and going through? Lord, would you bring peace into their life where there seems not to be any peace? And Lord, could you be glorified in all who they are and all that they do? I'm just going to tell you, you get on your knees before the Lord and you begin to pray for God's best for others. And it takes that heart and it just softens it and softens it and softens it. When you do all of this, right, so that people will see in you the patience of our Savior and Creator who, praise the Lord, is patient with us. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your patience with me. Every day, moment by moment. Lord, I thank you that in my life of rebellion as I ran from you, Lord, that you pursued me. I thank you that as my heart bowed down and worshipped the idols and the sin that I had, Lord, you still loved me. And you sent Jesus to die for me. Lord, I thank you that I understand your patience, not because I can see it lived out in the life of others, but Lord, because I see it lived out in my life all the time. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here, and today what they understand is your patience with them. They understand their rebellion. They understand their impact of sin. They understand who they are. And they've been trying to pay back a debt that they cannot pay. Lord, I wish my debt were $3.48 billion, but I know, Lord, it was much, much, much greater than that. 
when you paid it for us. Lord, I pray that for them this morning, they can understand that the payment of their debt comes from Jesus and his death on a cross. Lord, and that his calling on them in the receivement of that payment, Lord, is to place their faith, their hope, and trust in Jesus, your son. God, I pray for all of us in this room. We've all got somebody that we need to forgive. Someone who we can show your patience to. Lord, may we do so. May we not wait for them to make it right. May we not wait for them to get better. But can we just forgive? Can we seek to serve them? Can we pray for our own hearts of bitterness and resentment? And Lord, could we desire your best for them? Because Lord, we know they don't deserve it, but we also know that neither do we. We're all just broken, busted, beaten sinners who receive your grace and mercy. Thanks again for listening to the Willow Ridge Church weekly podcast. We hope that you enjoyed listening to this week's message. If you'd like to learn more about who we are or explore additional resources, visit us online at www.willowridgechurch.com or by searching for Willow Ridge Church on Facebook and Instagram.